0: I'm going to run through a couple of points on the budget and um, make some points also on the wider economy. On the budget, of course, it took place three weeks ago. I'm not going to give a detailed blow by blow rundown, but to make a few key macro points. The first one is that, in terms of the overall stance of the budget, the Chancellor loosened fiscal policy in the short term. For example, by extending the furlough schemes into the new financial year. And then he tightened the stance of overall policy from 2023. And that mainly took place via the hike and corporation tax. So if you look at the amounts, the degree of economic support uh, in the next financial year, 2021-22, is a pretty hefty 59 billion pounds. But from 2024, he claws it back by about 25 billion a year. Now, Mr. Sunak chose to leave, as you probably know, capital gains, tax and pension contributions well alone. but he's got the opportunity to look at those things again later on in the year. There's probably going to be a budget in the autumn, and that's because, don't forget, the budget we've just had was itself delayed from the autumn last year. Looking at government borrowing, uh, the deficit forecast for next year rose sharply to 234 billion pounds. And that was up by around 70 billion pounds on the November forecast. But if you look at the profile of the deficit, that gets down into double digits in 2023, 24 and beyond. And an interesting point is what actually saves the Chancellor here isn't so much his fiscal tightening. It's favorable revisions to borrowing this year, which actually provides a lower base for the forecast going forward. And if you look at specifically the forecast for the deficit in 2020, 21 that was cut by close to 40 billion pounds. And if you look at the deficit numbers every month, as I do, um, what's quite striking is that you see some hefty revisions, usually downwards to to previous month's borrowing estimates Um, and the Office for Budget Responsibility, the OBR, um, admitted last week that after the February figures were released, um, they were out last Friday, that its budget forecast, you know, only three weeks old now, uh, of $355 billion for 2020-21 could already be undershot. So you know, that's pretty good news, but still a huge amount of borrowing to cope with. Um, arguably, though, the amount of corrective action that the Chancellor needs to take to, to get the fiscal position to a more sustainable level uh, is less than previously believed. So, as I said, that, that that's pretty good news. Turning to the wider economy, we've talked about the UK showing quite a degree of resilience, even under lockdown, um, with firms managing to adapt their business models successfully. Now, figures published around two weeks ago showed GDP declining on the month in January by 2.9%. Now, under ordinary standards, that's quite a decline. But under lockdown, that's relatively modest. It's not much worse than the milder lockdown in November, where output fell by 2.3%. And, you know, better than most forecasts, which pointed to a 5% fall or 6% fall on the month, which are largely put together using surveys and the, the new fast economic indicators which are now available also what we saw yesterday from the labor market was a small drop in the unemployment rate to five percent in the three months to january pay as you earn data at the same time actually showed a sixty-eight thousand rise in the number of jobs in fev- february provisional number so it's true that the furlough schemes are putting an artificial lid on the amount of joblessness but the latest numbers arguably reflect a degree of confidence about the economy going forward from the spring onwards and it's quite feasible when cjrs and the c schemes are withdrawn in september that we avoid a very sharp spike in unemployment will the economy be that buoyant well you know apart from the the ongoing disputes over vaccines with the eu The inoculations are going extremely well in the UK, and we've had over 28 million people having had at least one jab. Um, The government is really at the moment on track to ease its social restrictions. It's also probably worth mentioning again that in terms of excess savings, which we've been talking about in these webinars, um, these are household deposits that would otherwise have been spent had there been no pandemic. We're we're calculating that, that at the moment. In January specifically stands at one hundred and eight billion pounds, and that's nine percent of annual consumer spending. Now, we recognize that that's not evenly spread across all groups of the population. It may well be that households with more of these excess savings are less prone to spend. But nonetheless, even the release of a modest proportion of those savings um, will propel demand and, and, and the economy in general i would like to make one point related to COVID, and we know that the infection rates, uh, daily infection rates have plunged so far this year, and we're now at levels that we haven't seen since about the late September. Now the rate of decline does seem to have dropped off, it's still declining, but probably only by around 3% per week, compared with about 30% two or three weeks ago. Now, it's not clear why that is. It could be connected with schools going back. Um, It could also be um, more testing as well. But I think as you relax the social restrictions, then it's likely to flatten off and actually possibly increase a little bit as well. Now, the critical point, however, is that with, with over half the population having received or half the adult population having received the vaccine, They're protected. The instances of serious infections, um, including fatalities, should actually be much lower. And I think for that reason, in the context of government policy, um, the authorities are going to be placing a little bit less weight on those daily infection numbers, which we've been watching for the last year or more, and more data on hospitalizations and fatalities as well. So in conclusion, we're actually fairly upbeat about prospects for the economy from this point onwards. In terms of specific numbers on our GDP forecasts, our existing forecasts are for a 6.4% rise this year and expansion of 6.5% next year. And that follows a 9.9% decline in GDP in 2020. But we're currently working on a new set. And I think from what I've been saying, you can probably guess that we're of a mind to upgrade our forecasts moderately. So that's it from me for now. Uh, Gives me great pleasure to ask Simon Boshoran to to give us a a rundown
1: on tax day yesterday. Simon, over to you. Thank you, Phil. Good morning uh, again, everyone. I'm actually gonna uh, go back a few weeks first. Uh, For those of you that tuned into our pre-budget webinar, you'll probably remember that I managed to talk for quite some time about things that weren't likely to happen. That I felt that despite the 400 billion that the COVID bailout is costing over a couple of years, and despite the extensive coverage in the media uh, on potential changes that may happen, that it would be a budget that was pretty benign, that wouldn't have much impact from a personal tax perspective in particular. Uh, this came from our belief that the Chancellor really had his back against the wall, both in terms of the taxes he could change, and in terms of the potential timing of any of those changes. Uh, on the taxes side, of course, income tax, national insurance and VAT locked under the manifesto and a commitment to keeping that pledge. And uh, on the, uh, I suppose, timing, they haven't with everything that's been going on over recent years, Treasury and HMRC, I'm, I'm thinking here, Brexit, COVID, and general election had time to think about, the the complex intricacies of the tax system, uh, and also the Chancellor doesn't want to uh, cut off a post-COVID recovery that hopefully we're expecting in the near future. Uh, And I think it was these points, along with uh, well-leaked proposals ahead of the budget, that meant our predictions were, were largely correct. As Phil alluded to in his introduction, it was a budget of two parts. The first, really supportive, an extension of the measures that we've seen uh, introduced uh, last summer, furlough, self-employed income support, scheme, VAT holidays for hospitality and so on. And the second part about stabilising the economy through tax changes over the medium term and encouraging growth through reliefs uh, and incentives. But I also feel it was a a two-part budget in terms of what was said and what wasn't said uh, and I thought we'd take a quick recap of some of the more interesting tax changes uh, before moving on to look at what wasn't said tax day and, and really finishing up with, with where we are now. Taxation by stealth seemed to be the order of the day in terms of the personal tax changes in the budget. They managed to stick to the letter of the manifesto, if not the spirit. There were no major changes to the income tax rates or national insurance rates. But we are seeing a freezing of the personal allowance for income tax and a freezing uh, of the uh, threshold at which higher rate tax kicks in. That's 50,000 at the moment. through Looking back over the last 30 years, they've been in extension for one year or two years during difficult times. This is quite a lengthy freeze. It's expected to raise about 20 billion by the time it kicks in, and it will undoubtedly drag a lot more people into basic rate tax, a lot more people into higher rate tax, and have knock-on effects in terms of, uh, you you know, uh, I I, I suppose child benefit being means tested away. Uh, So quite, quite a serious consequence there. Similarly, capital gains tax, no change to the rates as we expected, but... The annual exempt allowance is being frozen to 2026 in the same way that the income tax allowance is being frozen to 2026. Uh, I can live with this. The Office of Tax Simplification suggested that two to four thousand pounds would be an appropriate allowance. They suggested that twelve thousand three hundred was too generous, allowed people to plan a little bit too effectively. Uh, So that being held at that rate, I think is absolutely fine. Inheritance tax, no changes to the major rates there, but again, a freezing of the nil rate band at £325,000. That's been frozen since 2009 now, so we're basically looking at a 17-year freeze at £325,000. I appreciate that only 5% of estates actually pay any inheritance tax, but that will drag a lot more people uh, into that net, particularly if the value of real assets tends to uh, rise over the coming years. Residence nil rate band also frozen at £175,000 and the only consolation of those two is it makes those numbers quite easy to remember. There were no changes to pension tax relief per se, but the lifetime allowance uh, for tax relief contributions to pension schemes will be frozen at just over £1,073,000 through to the 6th of April 2026. This one doesn't sit easily with me. Uh, The lifetime allowance 10 years ago was 1.8 million. In 2006, so 15 years ago, it was 1 million, so not much less than it is now. Over that period, annuity rates have effectively halved. Now, I'm not suggesting that anyone with a fully funded pension would buy an annuity, but it's an interesting benchmark to use. If you got to retirement age of, say, 60 and bought an index-linked annuity with your fully funded pension up to the current lifetime allowance, you'd effectively be buying a starting annuity rate of less than the average UK wage. I cannot believe that is where we intended to be uh, at this point of time, and I can only hope that this freeze doesn't last that whole six years and is an indicator that wider reform is due in that area. Corporation tax was an actual tax change, even though this was kicked slightly down the line to 2023. Well uh, uh, highlighted before the actual uh, event, a rise from 19% to 25%, although softened somewhat with a small profits rate set at 19% uh, for companies with profits of under £50,000, and then a tapering up to £250,000 when the 25% rate will apply. A couple of interesting things here, 70% of trading businesses will fall under the small profits exemption, so there you'll still be paying 19%, and this will not apply to most investment companies. So we think about family investment companies, we think about properties holding, uh, uh, factories fact companies holding properties, uh, you're probably going to be looking at 25% uh, on those. It is a significant increase. We still have the lowest rate in the G7, which the Chancellor was very quick to point out. uh, But it does increase uh, the complexity uh, associated with the corporation tax regime that we didn't have previously. This introduction not only softened by the delay in the increase, but also in terms of a couple of other reliefs and incentives that went alongside it. Lost relief, the ability to carry back losses from two COVID years back three years rather than the usual one, and also a super deduction giving relief of 130% on expenditure on qualifying investments uh, purchased between 2021 and 2023, hopefully bringing forward some of that investment that might've been uh, uh, more longer term. Other good news. The much uh, touted stamp duty extension uh, was a reality that is extended through to the summer and then there's a lower nil rate band of 250,000 returning to the normal rates in the autumn. But that will be uh, much relief uh, to those that are mid-transaction. As I said at the start, I think this was generally a well-received budget and it's quite a clever one because it gives room for maneuver. The freezing of allowances, the deferral of any immediate tax changes gives some breathing space, some time to see how growth picks up, to see how the cost of servicing this debt changes, uh, and perhaps more time, hopefully, for uh, more significant reform. The Chancellor was upfront to state that the level of public spending cannot continue and that a series of tax rises will be needed. But when he said that, I immediately got thought, thinking about the areas that he wasn't talking about. Uh, it didn't seem to me that the measures introduced are actually going to be enough to balance the book. So what wasn't talked about? There was nothing on the rates of CGT, despite multiple consultations. There was nothing on inheritance tax. There was nothing on higher taxes to the self-employed, which was something that had been discussed previously. Fortunately, uh, there was nothing on property taxes or wealth taxes. That would have been a bit of a surprise. Uh, But also, we had this tax day event yesterday, uh, the postponing of announcements that are usually made during the budget. Now, when this was announced, the reason for that postponement was given as to allow more transparency and scrutiny uh, to ensure tax professionals will have a better opportunity to feed into consultations and policy discussions. Now, those that watched the previous uh, uh, webinar and read my post-budget review can probably pick up that I can be a little bit cynical when it comes to these things. So my immediate thought was that meant that they didn't want to announce those then because it would have taken the shine of what was a generally well-received budget. Uh, and I wasn't alone in that thinking. There were many people expecting, aside from the administrative measures that were going to be announced yesterday, would set out the stall for perhaps more changes uh, in the autumn. But I think for once, uh, my cynicism wasn't justified. And it was, with a professional hat on, a bit of an anticlimax as, as the budget was in terms of uh, what it indicated for the future. Uh, it focused on three areas, the announcements yesterday, the modernization of tax administration, tackling non-compliance, and uh, further tax policy announcements, picking out one or two interesting things from those. The modernization of tax administration. This was really about making tax digital, looking at the timing of payments and reducing reporting requirements. Uh, the two interesting points that I could extract, possibly self-employed companies having to pay more tax regularly throughout the tax year rather than all at uh, one particular point. Uh, and certainly on the inheritance tax front, good news on reporting. Uh, many families who don't actually have to pay any tax on the estate still have to go through a rather onerous process in terms of paperwork uh, to get that probate. Uh, from January 2022, that is going to be removed for the vast majority of non-tax paying estates. About 200,000 estates are going to benefit from that. The second area, tackling non-compliance. We had the perennial clampdown on deliberate non-compliance and tax avoidance, uh, but also support for taxpayers in terms of getting it right first time. This is really looking to tackle the tax gap. That's the gap between what HMRC expects to receive and what they actually receive. It's the lowest it's been for some time, but it's still £30 billion, which... uh, Coincidentally, is exactly the same amount that those freezes I mentioned earlier is supposed to generate over the terms. You can see if they can tackle this, it should negate the need for some pretty substantial tax rises elsewhere. Uh, the further tax and policy announcement section yesterday, there were several consultations and calls for evidence in that. Uh, what in there was interesting? Well, there was an interim report on business rates reviews, but you're gonna have to wait till the autumn for the final conclusion to that. Um, it was looking at a more straightforward process for individuals who over-contribute to pensions, allowing the scheme to pay any excess charges, which I think would be positive. Uh, another positive was there was confirmation that there isn't a desire for a comprehensive review of uh, trust legislation at this stage, uh, and there was also uh, a little bit of talk about uh, stopping the abuse of uh, the holiday let regime by second property owners who perhaps don't rent out their property but uh, uh, say it's under offer for uh, for lets but there wasn't anything of particular note. Like the budget, many areas conspicuous by their absence, nothing on CGT, IHT, uh, nothing on pensions tax relief. So although I may sound a little bit disappointed, the maintenance of the status quo is actually a good thing, I think, for most people uh, watching here. I think the comments and consultations uh, were sensible. If the government can modernize and digitalize a tax system and efficiently collect what it is owed, when it is owed, we talked about that tax gap, without leakage, a few errors, emissions, deliberates and uh, unintentional, uh, then it should really mean that you don't need to consider further tax rises if you're the Chancellor uh, or or a substantial rises as you uh, might be otherwise thinking about. But this is clearly a long-term game. And where are we now? Well, I think it's pretty much a three-pronged approach. uh, Growth we're gonna to have to wait and see how this picks up as we exit lockdown. Spending, it needs to be controlled, but there's clarity on that. There will not be a return to austerity. Look at the, uh, uh, the issues we had over the nurses, 1% pay rise uh, 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 recently and taxes. I think given everything that's been said, it really is a wait and see on that front as well. How do those two previous items, uh, how, how do they pick up? And, and, and then where does that leave the Chancellor in the autumn? I've mentioned that the Chancellor has his back against the wall, both in terms of the taxes he can change and in terms of the timing. And uh, at the risk of overmixing my metaphors, I think that noose is getting even tighter. Uh, the timing issue is compounded by under the fixed term parliaments. We're going to have a general election by May 2024. Uh, And also anyone that's been following the markets over recent months will have noticed the uptick in gilt yields recently. The cost of this COVID borrowing is going up to the extent that it's practically wiped out the saving through the corporation tax raise plan for 2023 already. So uh, it's leaving him in a tight corner. Uh, Does that mean we're going to see more changes in the autumn budget? I think we're going to have to wait and see, but it's going to be interesting. In summary, we're pretty much where we were a few weeks ago. Uh, We're likely to see changes creeping up either through these freezes or through further changes uh, in in six months or beyond. Uh, But it comes back to the same message I left you with a a couple of weeks ago. We know where we stand at the moment in terms of tax rates and allowances. Some of them are unlikely to be as generous in the future, so we have an opportunity to review our affairs, to understand the assets we have, to understand the treatment of those assets from a tax perspective and the role that they are going to play in our lives and our families' futures. Uh, make sure you're using all the wrappers, allowances, exemptions, the non-contentious ones that are available now, particularly the use-it-or-lose-it ones. There's no guarantee that they're going to be here in the future. Uh, conscious, i probably overrun again. Phil, I shall hand back to you. No worries, Simon. Thank you
0: very much for that. Um, and if you are cynical, you're in, in very good company here. I'm sure everyone appreciated your insights. We've got time for a couple of questions and a few have rolled in already so to try and maximize uh the number of uh, Q and a's we have i'll start immediately um uh, perhaps sort of building on the cynical theme simon one for you do you think what was left out of the review yesterday was more significant than what was included
1: i i think as i said i think the review yesterday I think we're gonna see tax day as a regular feature going forwards. Uh, And again, I think maybe they called a double bluff on that. I was cynical beforehand and maybe the Chancellor thought, no, I'm not gonna mention anything there because it still would take the shine off what is generally a well-received budget. I can't help but think, because of the things that I mentioned in my talk there, that there is further change coming down the line. uh, But just now is not the time. Desperate to see how growth picks up and really hoping, I guess, that the cost of servicing this debt doesn't get too high and that we have above- Expected growth that really uh, means that they don't have to examine some of the changes that they might otherwise uh, have to. So I think he's playing his cards close to his chest. But yes, just as in the budget, I suspect what wasn't said is just as important uh, as as what was. Look at the consultations we've had over recent years. Uh, we've had little feedback centrally on those, and I think we will see further comment in the future. Okay, fabulous. Thank you. A couple of economics questions have come
0: through, so I'll have a go at tackling those. Um, There's one on the budget deficit one on inflation. I'll look at the inflation one first. Uh, What's the inflation outlook um, over the the next year or two? Um, Clearly, this is a key topic with economies poised to enter recovery mode. In the UK, um, you know, our view hasn't changed. We actually had a, a low inflation number first thing this morning. The CPI rate dropped to plus 0.4% year-on-year year from plus 0.7, which was a downside surprise. But I do think that going forward, we're likely to see inflation being volatile and clearly in an upward direction. And This follows the recent run in energy prices. You've also got the utility cap rising in April. But just as importantly, you had a lot of negative inflation surprises from last year dropping out of the year on year calculation. And we think that we'll get 2% inflation um, by the second half of the year. And we might see inflation a little bit above that 2% target, but nothing worrying in the medium term. Um, in the US, it's a bit more interesting where you've got so much fiscal stimulus coming through, in short, that you are likely to see inflation rise above 2% this year. The question is whether inflation will be contained over the medium term. Um, we think it probably will for a while, but that's something that we're, we're less confident about than in the UK. question on budget deficit is what do you think the sustainable level of the budget deficit is? and um, i've got to say to the questioner i am a real fiscal hawk so perhaps you've got to take that into consideration Uh, one of the government's um, rules is to effectively only borrow to invest so the idea is that your investment generates greater returns to the economy and you're on average running what you call the current budget position um, in um, surplus or, or at least in balance I would prefer to see um, the actual overall deficit more in check and that becomes more important, more outstanding debt that you've got. Um I would tend to say something like two percent of GDP to aim at over the economic cycle at the moment. And obviously, we're clearly above that. Two percent of GDP would be somewhere around 45 billion. And the idea there. Is that if you're running higher budget deficits, then not only does it potentially become more uh, expensive to fund, but you are adding to your debt as a proportion of GDP if, if you're much above that level. So there, there is no firm answer. Uh, as I said, I tend to be a bit on the hawkish spectrum on um, fiscal policy matters generally. Um, we've got time for one more question. Um, we may run a minute or so over, but I think it's something which possibly Simon, both of us, can tackle very briefly. Um, Simon, what single change would you like to
1: see to the tax system? For me, it would be a, an overhaul of the uh, pensions tax regime. Uh, I don't believe it's currently fit for purpose. Uh, We had a lifetime allowance that is effectively the same as it was 15 years ago. We've got eight forms of lifetime allowance protection, excluding international enhancements and enhancements on divorce. Some individuals can't work out what they can pay until the end of the tax year, some till after the tax year. We have 40 billion of tax relief that's largely going to people who the government doesn't feel deserve to necessarily get that. We have uh, some people not getting any relief at all. We have some people who'd be better off paying into lifetime ISAs rather than pensions. Uh, we have perceived inequalities between defined benefit and defined contribution. So, uh, in short, I think that's what needs to be changed. Unfortunately, the question didn't ask how, because I have absolutely no idea. I will give a similarly
0: brief answer, which is that as an economist, what I'd prefer to see is a simpler, more transparent tax system. There's too much complication I prefer to see fewer exemptions, fewer tax rates, you know, perhaps combining income tax with national insurance. I understand politically why it's expedient to keep them separate. But these days, there are fewer reasons to have separate rates and the structure of allowances. I won't go into this now, um, does seem to be rather perverse in certain circumstances. So simpler tax system would be my choice. OK, that's all for now. Thanks very much to all of you for attending. And of course, a special word of thanks to Simon Bashoran for giving us such a timely update on a complex subject. We are planning to hold the next event in a month or so time, which um, I'm hoping here in England will be the post haircut environment. So hopefully see you then. Goodbye, keep well and see you next time.